This is an incredible gospel. I want us to really uh, hear what this gospel is saying. Because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Okay, and I, I know you're hearing it over and over, but I think it's important to grasp what it is that we're dealing with. Uh, this isn't just a pandemic uh, that um, uh, is physical. There's something behind it. And if you will read the Gospel of John, you know that John has a purpose. He has, a, he has something he wants to get across to us. He wants to talk about Jesus. The whole issue of the Gospels is Jesus, the coming of Jesus, who he is, what he came to do, and what he's about. And uh, I, I think we need to, before we even start this, let's just, just pray for a minute and, and ask the Holy Spirit, which is John's message really, and, and ask the Holy Spirit to take us over. Lord Jesus, uh, we do come into your presence humbly seeking your presence. We're here to worship you, to understand you, to gain from you the depth that you have intended for us to be as your children. Oh, Heavenly Father, you sent your Son to each of us, not just to the world, but to each of us in the world. And your spirit beckons us, beckons our hearts, draws us to you. And so let your word speak as it was written for our hearts to, to feed upon. And we pray this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you look with me at the sixth chapter of John, if you have Bibles uh, and if you're at home, um, just grab that Bible, put it in front of you, and uh, let's look at this together. As I said, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but it's not just a pandemic we're involved with. We're involved with a, a, a society that is, the media is stirring up to get us all uh, concerned about all kinds of issues. And... Um, Folks, we don't live out there in TV land. We don't live in Washington. We don't live in Portland, Seattle, Berlin. We don't live in Beijing. We live right here. In fact, those of you who are sitting here, we're, we're, we're real people to each other. Hopefully, <laughs> we're real people to each other. We're, we're, we're a kind of gathered together to, together to, to look at what the scripture says, to get closer to God, to get closer to one another, and to be his people. That's what we're called to do. Now, Jesus is on his way here to a mountain. Um, he's been in dispute with Pharisees. He's talked about his him being uh, the son through whom life comes, the son of God through whom life comes. And, 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 he, and he comes to this, he takes his disciples and they're going up on the side of a mountain. Now let's just look at it right from the beginning of chapter 6. 
Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. So Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with the disciples. Now, here's the thing that we want to understand. This, this is the fourth sign that John records. This, this, what's going to happen here, this fourth sign that indicates he's the Messiah. There are seven signs in John. We don't have to go through all of them, but this is, this is an important one because it takes place in the context of the Passover. Jesus goes through three Passovers after he is baptized. And uh, this, is the, this is the second Passover he goes, because remember now, he, he's within a three-year context and uh, and I, I liken it to when you see the numbers in John, they're important. It was three Passovers are going on, one for the Father, one for him, and one for the Holy Spirit, okay? But the Passover, you know what that is. That's history. That's the Jews' history. That's Jewish history. It's Jesus' history. It's the history of humanity, basically, that we're seeing from Adam and Eve up to the time of Jesus when the last prophet uh, Malachi says his words. There's a 400-year separation in time there. And then John, the baptizer, is the last prophet. And he's the one who says, I am the one who is the forerunner for him who is to come. And he's seen him. It's his cousin, Jesus. And he baptizes Jesus. And Jesus says something to John that's very important at that point. He says, I have not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. I have come to fulfill all righteousness. So that all of Jewish history suddenly comes down like this, this hourglass. And, and it all sifts, all the sand and it sifts through this one point in human history, the existence of the life of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, God the Son in the flesh, led by the Holy Spirit. And he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Now, the importance of all of this is that this is all human history localized Finally, into one person who is going to be the fulfillment of every person for the future, if they accept him. Now, all history then is basically summed up in Jesus and in the Old Testament. You read it from Adam and Eve up to now. What kind of a history is it? It's a spiritual history. John has written his gospel with one intention. To show that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name. That's in John twenty thirty one. So in order to do this, in order to believe in him, you've got to think spiritually. Thinking spiritually is the heart of the gospel of John. And when you think spiritually, that opens up something new every day for every single person who receives Jesus Christ. It's not the same old, same old anymore. 
Everything now is seen in a spiritual context. The Jewish Passover, which was a historic remembrance of the Jews' deliverance through, uh, through the wilderness, shows us that the world in which we live is a wilderness. It's, it's suddenly encompassing not just the Judean wilderness or the, the, the Jews crossing for 40 years. Remember 40 years? And Jesus spends how many days in the wilderness? 40 days in the wilderness. What he's doing is summing up history in himself. He's summing up spiritual history in himself in order to pass on that history and make all us, all of us, our history, part of his history. And we are now to be like Jesus, moving him into the world about us, to be the answer to the issue of the wilderness we find ourselves in. Every human being born is born into a wilderness, is born into a pandemic, a spiritual pandemic called sin. We have it in our hearts and our minds and Our spirits are alienated until we come to see God as central in our lives. And Jesus came to bring the message that he is the kingdom of God incarnate. You see, Jesus is not just a political or military messiah. He was never intended to be that. What kind of a messiah do you think Jesus was intended to be? You see, that's really the question. Well, historically, because of the condition of the world, we think, well, we're to be delivered from dictators. We're being delivered from military power and social power and people who are, you know, caught in the web of the world's standards. No, Jesus came to be a personal Messiah, a spiritual Messiah and a relational Messiah. It was totally new. This was totally unexpected because in history, all of the historical giants, the military leaders and emperors and kings in the world, all arrived at their position, usually through military power, conniving, manipulation, and that kind of thing. Jesus arrives on a totally different level. Born of a virgin among an unknown people, a working man's family, what we would call the common man. And he's born into that situation to be a personal, spiritual, relational Messiah. Because that's where our wilderness starts. Our wilderness starts within. Because the great question is, who am I? Where am I going? How am I going to get to where I'm supposed to go if I don't know who I am and what I'm about. And Jesus said, you are an image of God. And if you believe in me, you become a child of God. And when you become a child of God, you, have, you know who you are as a person. You know what your experience is. And, and the people around you become your brothers and sisters. They're all images of God waiting to become children of God. And now we have a new Messiah, someone who brings us the new message. What it means to be human is to be an image of God who becomes a child of God, who inherits the kingdom of heaven, who lives the world's message and redeems the world. 
We are each here, his children. We are first spiritual, personal, and relational people. Our purpose is to live that out in the name of Jesus. Now look at what the scripture here says. The Jewish Passover feast was near. We're passing over not only a history of the Jews being being freed from Egypt and slavery. We're we're in, in Jesus, we're passing over from a past into a future, but into the present that enables us to live spiritually, personally and relationally like we never did before we knew Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we become perfect when we receive Jesus. We have a lot of growth to do after. Sometimes we don't have problems at all until we become Christians and discover we have some real problems. You see, and so Jesus comes and he becomes the one who guides us into what it means to be a person, what it means to be relational, what it means to be a spiritual image of God. Now, in his restoration of history and him becoming the sum total of spiritual history in the world, what does he do? He goes and teaches his disciples in the midst of thousands of people. The thousands should remind them of the thousands that the Jews were as they escaped from Egypt and were headed to a promised land. Jesus, you see, is coming in and saying, I am the one you're looking for. I am the gate to the promised land. I have a new kind of land. It's a land of the spirit, a land of relationships. It's a land of discovering who you are as a person for the first time. Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him. And he said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread to feed all these people? I think it's interesting. Well, I can see Philip going over in his mind. Well, how, what is the world? What, what happens in the world when you have a big crowd and you don't know what to do with them? Well, let's see. You get uh, find all the money you can. You get people together, work up committees and things like that. Jesus knew exactly. He said it to test him. Because he already knew what he was going to do. Now, here's the question. What did he already know he was going to do? Did he have it all planned? No, he knew that he was the fulfillment of history. He was going to do it his father's way. What was his father's way? In the word, it tells you that when Moses had problems, Jethro, his father-in-law, said, Moses, you can't do all this by yourself. You need help. What you need to do is divide people up into groups of 50 and 100 and and have them have leaders and then deal with the issues that way. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd. Matthew says he was filled with compassion for them because they were like sheep 
without a shepherd. They were just a mob coming and what happens next? Jesus knew that if he was faithful at this point, his father would grant what he asked. Seek and you will find. Ask, it will be given to you. Knock and the door will open. Jesus knew this is how he operated. He was operating in faith the entire time. Philip said, typically, we only have uh, we've only got a kid here with five loaves and two fish. Now, you've got to think about John for a minute because John's using numbers here. He didn't just say, well, there's a kid here with some fish. He was very specific. He said, five loaves, two fish. Now, you have to think... What is Jesus saying here through John? He's saying there are five loaves. And what does that spiritually remind you of? The five books of Moses, which is the law. What are the two fish? Could it not be the prophets and the writings like Chronicles, the writings like Chronicles, First and Second Kings, the Psalms, Ruth, and And the prophets from Isaiah to Malachi? What Jesus is doing is presenting them with a historical summation. You've got the five loaves, you've got two fish, but you need me to multiply them. You need me to give you the real bread that comes from heaven, like We gave the Jews when they were in the wilderness the manna to feed them when they had nothing to eat. God provided the necessary food at that moment. Five loaves, two fishes, that's just the beginning. I always like this part. It says a boy had, you know that scripture says, and a child shall lead them. And a child shall lead them. Five barley loaves and two fish. You take what you've been given and you ask the Lord to bless it. What have you been given inside you? The wilderness that's inside you. You have been given so much skills. You've been given the ability to speak, the ability to think, the ability to use your life spiritually. The Bible is your food. The Bible is the food that Jesus is bringing before us that we can feed on. What did Jesus say when he was tempted in the wilderness? Man does not live on bread alone. He lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's where we start. We start understanding. We can even look at the two in another sense, too. We can look at it as the Spirit And we could look at it as the word, the two fish working together. In fact, the word without the spirit is just literary. The word with the spirit is life. The Bible is where life starts. And Jesus is telling them, you've got these two fish. 
I'm telling you what they're all about. And I am the one who will give you life. If he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, later on here, this is just simply a fulfillment of something he has brought from the past and given life to. He has given life to the law. He's given life to the prophets. He's given life. He's given understanding. He's given us a new way to think. Have the people sit down. And there was lots of grass in the place, the scripture said. So Jesus was concerned about the comfort of people where they are. He has compassion on the lonely who are in the, in the desert, in the wilderness. Folks, each of us was born into a wilderness. Our body is a wilderness. Do you understand everything that's going on in your body? It's a wilderness. Just go to a doctor and have him talk to you about your wilderness. And we live in a social wilderness. Folks, we're not, we're not here being socially distant. We're here being physically distant because social closeness is what God gives us as a gift. But think of how socially distant we are in a world that is just full of sin. Sin is the wilderness. Sin is what we have found ourselves It's the wilderness we found ourselves in. And Jesus comes to forgive sin. And 5,000 sat down and they had the five loaves and the two fish and everyone ate. And then there were 12 baskets left over. Twelve. Why didn't you say, well, there's some left over? No, there's 12 baskets left over. The 12 tribes of Israel that disappeared. Now we have the new 12. That now we have a feeding that's going to continue. That every moment of your life is a new moment. Every person you meet is a new person. Every word you say will be a new time and a new place. And something new is happening in your life all the time. This is what Jesus brings to us. A new way, a new life, a new thought, a new way of relating to people. We've been through all the old ways, and we've discovered the old ways don't work. But the new way is Jesus, who delivers us spiritually, personally, relationally, into a whole new dimension of understanding. Well, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. Do you think spiritually about everything you do? Let me give you, I'd like to give you a couple of examples of how we can think spiritually. Uh, Recently, um, we um, we had a project done in the house to get changed. Um, but, but more than that, I did, let me just talk about our computer. Our computer went out. And uh, so, I'm, you know, what's the standard thing you do the world tells you to do? Reboot. Of course, you repent. That's the same kind of thing in a way. You reboot. Okay, well, so I rebooted. Nothing happened. I rebooted again. And discovered I need 
somebody who knows what they're doing to come in, straighten this out. We have a tech guy that we've been working with for 10, 12 years. He is unbelievable. See, you know, at one time he came and well, a couple of times he came, he worked our computers over and got everything fine. But anyway, just we rely on him for the tech stuff. Now, the amazing thing is that everything he does is from his home. He takes control of the computer. In fact, I'm watching him by the cursor, how he's going through every file in the computer and he's going back and forth. And within a half an hour, he's got the whole thing corrected and back. He did it from a distance. He did it invisibly. He did it personally and he did it relationally, but he did it invisibly. Now, who is the tech in our life but the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's doing the work. He's coming in. I can watch the cursor when I go through the words. And then there he is. And he's saying, oh, this is where you need correction. This is what, hey, what is the word? It's for correction and direction. And, and, and the, you know, it goes into the sinews of your life. And it, it, it works you around. And the Holy Spirit is just there doing all this correcting it's like that computer tech. Think of the Holy Spirit being a computer tech in your life, in your heart, in your mind. We had another problem. Our air conditioner went out several weeks ago. That's at the hottest time of the year. It's about right, right? So we called up. Had a new air conditioner put in. But the amazing thing this time is they've got a thermostat that's really interesting. This thermostat, you can walk by it, and as soon as you get close to it, it lights up and tells you what the temperature is. See, a thermostat controls the temperature in the house. Did you ever think that when you're in the Scripture and you're praying that the Holy Spirit isn't Adjusting your spiritual temperature? (laughs) Okay. It's interesting, isn't it? All I'm doing is saying, think spiritually about what you're going through in life. Begin to look at every event in your life as a spiritual event. And what is God talking to you and telling you about? I would say, just like Jesus Here, he's getting us to think spiritually. Thinking spiritually about life is where life begins. So you've got a thermostat. You've got a computer tech. (laughs) What more do you need? He's always working in your life. He's feeding us. You know, when I wake up in the morning, I go out for a walk, and it's early. So the first thing I see when I walk out my door is a star in the east. There's a star up in the sky in the east. Who followed the star in the east and found the Lord? I get the opportunity every morning to look up at the sky and see the star in the east, and I follow it. And then when I turn around, I come back and I look, but it's still there. And then, of course, the light comes up, 
And the star was there, and now the light shines. The light pointing to the Lord, of course. And at the end, there's a hill there. It used to be an old garbage dump. But at the end there, there's this big hill. And I thought about the feeding of the 5,000 on the hill. I see that. And also, as I walk down the street, there are seven street lights between my house and the end of the street. Seven. Seven days of creation. Seven signs of the Messiah. I can't walk out the door, but that I look at the door and say, Jesus is the door. So what I'm asking this morning is for the Lord to bless us in this time in the wilderness we find ourselves in, in this culture, at this time, in this history, that we are the most important people in the world right now, the ones who are praying and being the stable spiritual witnesses that he's called us to be. And we have the feeding. We have the food we need right here. We have one another as a body of believers Don't listen to television. Don't listen to all what the media say. Listen to what God says to you in this word, in this way, this day, right now. Amen and amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, I not only want to pray for the body that's here assembled, but the one that's looking in, one we're all a part of. Lord, we're, we're a people living in a wilderness, but we have the light of the world in a dark world. We have the light of Christ. We have your light, Lord God. We're your witnesses. We have the bread of life in us. You've taught us in this, the Lord's Supper. This is the Lord's Supper. It's not a holy communion or a a holy thanksgiving on our part. It's the Lord's giving us a supper that is real, personal. We're fed in the Spirit. We're given life in the Spirit. And here we are together. Feeding at your feet, Lord Jesus. You are the bread. You are the good shepherd. You're the door. You're the way, the truth, the life. It's all about you, Lord Jesus. And we want life, our life, to be your life. Oh, fill us now with your Holy Spirit. That as we, as we walk into the wilderness of the world we are a light to that world we have people we run into lord every day that need your light need your word need to be fed by you help us wherever we are wherever we go masks on hands washed spirits cleansed sin done away with that we may walk as your witnesses, strong and powerful, and that what is going on around us fades in the distance. For you are here, Lord. You're blessing us. You are Jesus, Savior and Lord, into eternity.
praise you and thank you that we are your people this day and every day. Forever. Amen.